1987, the loony goes into circulation. We say goodbye to the $1 bill. WWF holds WrestleMania 3 at the Silverdome in Michigan. Anthony Fat Tony Salerno sentenced to 100 years in prison for racketeering. That's a real person. Fat Tony, a real person. And also in 1987, the Toronto Maple Leafs turned a 2-1 series lead into a 3-1 series lead. Since then, seven straight times they've had the chance to do it, and seven straight times they've failed. Until yesterday, J.D. Bunkus. Good morning to you. Yeah, those are all things that happened as I was like being born, I guess. Um, I'm so happy. I don't know how else to t say this, and I, I don't even care because I know that I know that there are Leaf fans out there today. There are people that care about this hockey team and who have been emotionally invested in this hockey team for a long ass time, who haven't seen them win around in the playoffs since 2004 who are right now going don't jinx don't do this don't do that don't like still sweating things out and I'm not I just I refuse to live this way you know I refuse to live in fear <laughs> the Leafs are better than the Habs and that feels good and don't let anybody take that away from you today those stats that keep getting paraded around about the Leafs and how long it's been since they've had success. Like, I don't know if you saw the Morgan Riley goal, Leafs defenseman, game-winning goal, yeah, the playoffs, yeah. when's the last time it yeah. happened? It was like Bill yeah. Barilko. Yeah. It was the guy before him. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. There's hilarious stats yeah. going around. This is even more reason to just enjoy this moment and stop <laughs> living with your crappy anxieties just for a couple of days, you know? Like... If it happens, it happens, and, and it'll be the worst thing ever. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that lightly. But I'm just loving this, man. I've been waiting literally since I was in high school for the Leafs to win a series. And they're on the brink of one against the team that I have the most emotional equity against out of all of them. And I know that a lot of Leaf fans have the same thing. There was the Battle of Ontario. That was a big thing, obviously, for many of us. And beating Ottawa had a moment where it felt like super important. But being up on Montreal right now like this where – are the Leafs even playing well? I can't even really tell. It's hard <laughs> to know? tell. It's hard to tell. You know, uh, it's hard to tell how good the Leafs periods, are even playing. They're like, yeah. they're like, we play 20 minutes of our best hockey in the second period. That's more than enough to beat this awful, awful <laughs> hockey team in which mm -hmm. William Nylander has single-handedly – sent to overtime like it was William Nylander against the Montreal Canadiens they'd be going to overtime mm. because they both have four goals in the series at this point mm. you're such a hypocrite though because you, you know before the series starts Edge comes on here gives us this pep talk about not feeling nervous not feeling scared and then game one happens and you can't help but fall into your old routines but after that yeah. it has been the superior team and even in game one they were the superior team they had to the only way they lost was from one of the scariest-looking injuries in recent memory and then three straight bizarro penalties. Mm -hmm. But I text you during these games about how dominant this team looks, and you're still you're, 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 you're cautious in the games. You're, you're, you're saying right now you're flipping your mindset that we can, be, we can be optimistic, we can be positive, we don't have to put the, the jinxing things in perspective anymore, that now we can go full bore. Is there a part of me that knows that I have put... <laughs> 
some things out into the universe now that could come back and be yeah. uh, bad from all sides, right? Like, I think both Habs and Leaf fans would call for my retirement, my resignation now if they lose this series, right? That's like, right. I think that's, that's right. fair. I, I think that's fair. Those requests at this point are fair. If you're furious at me and you're Leafs fan, all I'm going to say is I get it. I totally get that you're so anxious and all these different things. All I would ask of you is to put the, sh- the uh, to put yourself in the Hab shoes, which you've done your entire life, right? Where the Leafs have been the ones that are down in a series and getting outplayed in a series and where they need a miracle to happen in a series and how you would feel in that scenario, right? Okay, so Toronto now needs to lose three straight games to a team that they have wildly outplayed who frankly looked broken at times in that third period who is just not capable of generating shots who has a great goaltender Carey Price could definitely rip three straight games and do those things but I just don't care right now I just right now in the moment I'm just enjoying being in this position and having it be like Habs fans okay Habs fans who before the season before the season and during the season, it was, oh, the Leafs are just a regular season team. And, you know, Montreal's built a little bit more for the playoffs. And Montreal's a little bit of a tougher team. And Carey Price and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden this is happening where the Leafs don't even have Tavares. They don't even have Nick Felino. They're not even going great. Uh, Jack Campbell is a net who wasn't expected to be there at this point and who's been great. And again, we'll get to him. And now all of a sudden it's, well, the Habs aren't even that good anyways. And, you know, you guys aren't going to win the Stanley Cup. So what does it even matter? And that just, that stuff just fuels me to be thrilled because that's when you know the other fan base knows. That's when you know the other team knows. And that's what I love about this series for Toronto is, again, I don't think that they're going that well. They're playing okay. The defense has been, the team defense has been solid. The goaltending has been great for Toronto. Like Jack Campbell has been awesome. Not making spectacular saves. He's not Ed Belfour against the Senators over here, but he is doing exactly what you needed him to do, which is not let in softies and make these games sketchy. The second line was awesome last night. William Nylander has been brilliant in this series, exactly what they needed him to be. But... This isn't an Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Zach Hyman line is dominating. This isn't, you know, four lines going in a way where you thought maybe, oh, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, I know they chipped in goals last night, but Joe Thornton has mostly been an abject disaster and gets a goal last night. That was awesome, fun moment, but even if you're looking at this and, and being realistic about Toronto and moving forward and needing Tavares and Felino and all that stuff or needing to be better to beat better teams... This is just so enjoyable. This is so, so, so enjoyable having a series like this. No, it's two teams in different planets. Uh, yes. Absolutely. And what we said all along, right? What yeah. you and I said all along. It's so rare in sports, and particularly this sport, which is the most coin flippy of all the sports, that a goalie can win you a series, that weird stuff happens. It's so hard to quantify each individual moment. It's so rare in this sport for just about everybody to come to a consensus agreement on how the series should go and then it gets played out on the ice and you're like oh that's exactly what we thought would happen again it's not over yet and game one Mm -hmm. they lost they were down in the series and they trailed in the first two games of this series but since then it has just been what you expected. And I mentioned the Habs have scored four goals. They've scored three, five on five. We've now played four games 
in the series. I mentioned this when when uh, Nick Foligno suffered the injury initially and was carried off the ice, and who knew how long he'd be out for. Really looked dire at the moment, and all of a sudden he's starting in game one of the, of the postseason, which was a surprise. That that would suck, and that's disappointing because he's somebody you wanted to to be with you throughout your entire playoff run. But the reason he was brought in wasn't to beat the Montreal Canadiens. The Toronto Maple Leafs, well capable of beating the Montreal Canadiens with the roster decimated, which is happening right now. Probably, and hey, we'll see. The, the Winnipeg Jets are playing better. The, that was The Jets were playing as poorly as the Montreal Canadiens were at the end of the season. Probably not exactly necessary to get out of this division. That, that addition and this full depth is supposed to be on display getting out of this division. Maple Leafs were the class of the North throughout the course of 56 games during the regular mm -hmm. season. They look full value for that during the postseason and during these four games against the Montreal Canadiens. There is no doubt that a big part of this story is how bad the Habs are. Because they've been awful. Like, I, I don't know who could watch them play and say that Like, how, how many times have you been scared as a fan? This is I'm speaking to not you right now. How many times have you been, like, really terrified in this series of somebody else, one of the Habs players on the ice? Like, or a shift or where they've, like, really dominated or got, like, it's just not Third really happening. Three, that's it. Because, but, like, the but was, even shot there was different. Yes, or it was sure. similar yesterday, but that didn't feel the same at all. Yeah. Even then, I actually think... Toronto, like I went back and watched that. <laughs> I went back and watched that game yesterday before the other game, and I don't know. Toronto, that that was not as bad as it was in the moment. Sometimes when you watch things with the emotion of the moment, versus watching it in the light of day, where it's you don't just want to give up thirteen to two shots in the, in the third period in a one goal game. Yep, sure thing. Go look at it again and tell me which, how many of the shots were all that dangerous. There was a couple, Grand. but it's but it's very much a Toronto is like we're we're protecting a lead here and we're yeah. built to protect this lead. And if right. we feel like we keep you to the outside and we don't let you come in, that's the part of this is like Montreal has just no offense in the middle of the ice and in around the net. There's just nothing from there. It's all from outside, uh, above Anderson? the circles, right? Like. Dude, Josh Anderson at a moment in that game where Gallagher gets just buried in front of the Leafs net and yeah. he does nothing. I'm like, aren't you a big, strong guy that's supposed to stick up for teammates? Like, yeah, mm, no, it doesn't look like... Ever since game one, he's been a complete ghost. Who hasn't been a ghost for the Habs? Who's the Habs non-ghost? Well, Cole Caulfield hit that, that crossbar once. Yep. That was nice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Carey Price again, has been really good. Again, people act like Montreal. So, yeah, they're in a different stage. Like, Cole Caulfield's supposed to be better, and Kak and Yemi can be better, and they've got pieces that are going to improve over the course of the future. But um, how many years are you going to have of, uh, you know, the best big game goalie on the planet? Mm -hmm. um, Shea Weber, long in the tooth, still got some years under contract. Petrie contract. Like, Anderson contract. This isn't exactly some team that's not supposed to be anywhere competitive. So, uh, I do think that it's in part Montreal just doesn't have the horses to hang with Toronto. They do not have a very good team. They've not been built very well. And we're going to talk to Julian McKenzie in a couple of minutes about how, what the fallout's going to be for Montreal. Because if it's dismissive, like this isn't our year and we're going to next year, it's like, mm. I, I do think that there's probably a little bit more pressure on the front office now because they're getting smoked. And it's, again, no Tavares, no Felino, 
and Sheldon Keefe's doing things like, sure, I'll try Adam Brooks and I'll try Travis Dermott, and both those guys did nothing in that game, really. And it's just, whatever, um, they're better than your guys. Took a penalty. He he took a penalty. Sure. (laughs) Let's throw those guys in there. Take a look. Um, It's a line, a second line, that straight up looks like it's out of my nightmares. Like, I, I, in a playoff game, if you told me, hey, the Leafs are going to have to lean on this line, Galchenyuk, Nylander, Kerfoot, I, I would have I would have watched the series, no doubt, but I, I would have been terrified. I would have thought I was walking into some kind of clockwork orange thing where you're going to have to hold my eyelids open and I'm going to watch this and it's going to be pain. Those three guys, first of all, that's what you need from Galchenyuk, right? Because... He needs to make those kind of plays. Otherwise, you get what you got in game three, which is someone who you don't feel overly comfortable about being on the ice. I thought he was coming out. Like, when they announced that Brooks was coming in, I thought, oh, naturally this is going to be Galchenyuk who comes on the lineup. Thank goodness, because some of those plays he made, the saucer passes, the vision offensively, like, that's why teams continue to take flyers on lottery ticket guys regardless of what the track record is because there's only so many players on the planet that can do things like that. Yep, and if that's all you do is create single-handedly two goals with one, the no-look pass to William Nylander after the pass from Alex Which did you like more? Uh, I like the saucer because it was so... Me too. It was so long. Me too. And I I, I follow... It's perfect. I, I follow Versteeg and, and mm-hmm. uh, John Avery on, on Twitter and, or on Instagram, and to watch those mm-hmm. guys break the, the that play down was awesome to, yeah. to see. It was just an absolutely perfect saucer yep. pass, and the, the, yep. the window he had to put it through over the outstretched leg right on the stick, and then even Price getting a piece of it is yep. outstanding. Like, he almost stops that thing, but he single-handedly created – two goals in that hockey game and if that's all you do and it was kind of it was justice that he got the empty netter mm-hmm. that's more than enough reason for him to be in the lineup that was incredible what yeah. he did so I think that's just going to be the Alex Galchenik experience is that when you're going to need some offense some nights if he can provide it for you you're going to praise him and if the Leafs are in a tighter checking series where he has to potentially get bumped down the lineup. You obviously can't play him. It's just—it's a weird player to have in your lineup, but it's just a great piece to have. And I, I really do believe that he is going to be a strong, strong candidate for re-signing on something like the Simmons or Thornton deal next year and still being someone who's like a luxury piece, fringe around the edges forward. So he was great. Kerfoot is, to me, becoming... <sighs> I don't know what the story of the series is quite yet, other than Toronto's just domination, but... Kerfoot stepping up and playing the way that he's playing right now in the absence of Tavares and Felino has to be in consideration for it. This is a guy who was on the very end of the bubble guys when it came to this roster, where you were looking at him and going, where does he slot in? And is he a centerman? And if he's not a centerman, then what the hell did you trade for him? And Fourth line center, maybe making $3.5 million. Right. Or maybe out no, of the lineup. Dude. And... I've been critical, I think fair, with Alex Kerfoot saying that I don't think he's a bad hockey player. I don't even think necessarily he's 
well, I do think he was overpaid his regular seasons, but he's especially overpaid on this Leafs team. If he was going to move to the wing, then the case was, well, you were probably better off keeping guys like Kapanen or even Janssen if you were going to go with just winger depth. No, <laughs> you were not better off keeping those guys. Where would they be without him right now? He's doing everything. Every little piece that you could want him to do, he's doing. He almost made it to also like a brilliant pass last night where that was very, very close for another goal. He's providing offense. He's one of the most reliable 200-feet players right now. He's killing penalties. He's in guys' faces, in guys' heads, and he's playing like a pretty nasty game. I got to say, we got Stewie on later in the show today, and Engvall was a bit of a ghost last night compared to the last couple of games, but... This is a real win series for Stewie. Like the guys he backs, Kerfoot and Engvall, is just like it's a lot of a lot of Stu Monroe being very very happy. So, I'm a bit confused by it because the the Nylander thing shouldn't. I mean, it's great to see, but this is but it's not really confusing. Freaking Nylander, no. right? It's, it's like, not that's, confusing. You're is right. that thirty goal score? Like, what are we yeah. talking about? It's first round pick, mm-hmm. William freaking Nylander. It just hasn't shown up in the playoffs. I've come on this radio show and said explicitly, I don't want to see Alex Kerfoot up the middle ever again. Like, we've seen mm-hmm. that enough. He's had enough rope. Whether it's the third line, whether it's whatever, I don't want to see him up the middle. What they got was mm-hmm. a guy that had limited sample in Colorado as a centerman, and they thought that they could extrapolate that to a full-time role, and it just was not working. His best role was on the wing and playing next to John Tavares, because that's most people's best role, playing next to John Tavares. Mm-hmm. And yes, could he kill penalties? Got it. Not a point producer. We know he's he's a 200-foot player, but really didn't jump off the page super fast. I, I never saw any of this. Like, wh- wh- where was the evidence that this was possible? Explain it to me. I think there was, there were breadcrumbs this was possible. He's put together, like, really good games. Um, he's had good stretches. But in Toronto, when... When he started to get moved out of the middle and they start to look at guys like Engvall over you, who the coach mm-hmm. doesn't love, I think that's pretty telling that they don't love you as a center. And they didn't like Thornton as a center. They don't like Spezza as a center. They were giving Adam Brooks minutes there, right? So I think there was signs, especially if you look back to Colorado and what you look at what a, a full season was for him his first couple of years – and that Toronto, it hasn't really meshed and it hasn't really worked. There were signs in terms of, like, there's so much importance on skating now, and he's clearly just, like, a very, very good skater. If you remember, too, early this season, it started to look a little bit like Kerfoot had found himself, and then he seemed to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. I also, and and I'll admit this about myself as well, there's definitely a part of any time that guy struggles, people go, I can't believe they traded a Leaf fan favorite for that guy who, had he been on this team, you start fantasizing about what it would be like having those three down the middle and blah, 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 blah. Whereas when he does good things, they're not as eye-popping. He's not a guy who, you know, has a good shot. He really doesn't. In fact, he's probably the worst shooter on the team. Like, who has a worse shot than Kerfoot? Who looks to shoot less than Kerfoot? Like, even Marner looks to shoot infinitely more than he does. 
So he's not really going to ever score an eye-popping goal like a Nazem Kadri will, where, you know, Kadri cuts it in the middle of the ice and he does his patented, you know, t- picks a top corner. So there's that, but this is also when you talk to people about, hey, this team is better built for the playoffs. And when you say things like depth and center depth and the right kind of guys for these types of games, Alex Kerfoot fills that mold, right? It's guys you trust. Guys you know are not going to make aggressively bad plays and hurt you and who are just going to do the simple and the right things. And that's what I think of with Kerfoot right now. So, yeah, it's I think he, Jack Campbell... Um, William Nylander, like those three guys are basically all in the conversation together for a story of the series. But yeah, Kerfoot, like you want to talk about guys changing narratives. It's hilarious because we did the Nylander thing yesterday. He's already done it. He's like you said, he's got as many goals as the Habs in the series. All it takes is a non-collapse and he's there. Kerfoot too. So quickly on Jack Campbell, I like he validates the coach. He justifies everybody that's believed him so far. He's playing calm. He's playing confident. Um, At this point, I think you're hoping that you're never seeing Freddie Anderson. You know, we've always thought that Anderson was going to have a part to play in this postseason. And yesterday, I thought Keith got some guys in to almost make them feel like they're a part of the series in a game where it's a back-to-back and there's less risk or whatever. But like Brooks and Dermot especially, like there's no way they can go back to Dermot over Sandine. That that decision was not a good one. Um, Very, very clearly. And it's fine. But they got to go back to Sandine now. There's no room for anything now. Jack Campbell posted a shutout. And yes, again, Montreal is not taking the most high-danger shots and they're not threatening or whatever, but it's like the game Toronto has to play is the one that is suited to what Jack Campbell is doing right now. So it's just it's full marks for everybody involved in the decision-making and his play. I went into this postseason thinking that the margin for error was razor thin, that it was so like I. a game seven of uh, a baseball playoff game right yep. where you know your starter he gets the ball and boy you'd sure like to get him through seven eight innings but he loads the bases with nobody out in the first inning bullpen's warming like you're getting yep. ready to make that change jack campbell has built enough equity that it it's not just like if he has one bad game now that you're mm-hmm. trotting him back out there again like there is yep. the the leash is longer and maybe it's only the one game but he he did not have that going into this postseason series it was literally like bad period maybe and Mm -hmm. you make a change at the intermission he has earned the trust of his head coach of the fans of the players on this team to such a degree that it is he's the unquestioned number one starter and yeah this is obviously not a now conversation but then you start thinking about okay well he's the starter going into next year on a small cap hit and man does that help you and your ability to build this team next year yeah, they got to have somebody else, obviously, because yeah. I don't think it's so much of a skill question at this point. Although he's still like people got so mad yesterday when Guy Carboneau said that the, you know Jack Campbell's still a little unproven. I was like, yeah, he had a good game, but he's definitely still unproven. Like, yeah. I-, I couldn't believe people were getting upset over that. Like, he, once he puts together a full 82 game season, and uh, I know that goaltenders, starting goaltenders, aren't the same anymore. But yeah, there's still a lot to see when it comes to that guy. Um, you, how comfortable would you feel if Toronto was just like locking him up to a contract extension tomorrow? On this, like, no, great. So, he's thirty years old, right? <laughs> but he's been brilliant. And then, lastly, because I have some Tavares theories, I want to float your way. Um, 
And I don't know if we're going to have time for Gretzky. We're going to have to do that later. I like your thought on Felino, by the way. I, I don't think that you play him the rest of this series, essentially, unless you somehow end up in a game seven and you need to go to him. Like, I'm resting Felino. I'm not even considering it. Um, but Jason Spezza, man, I just... Like, what is there even to say? This guy is so important to them. And yes, everyone's happy that Joe Thornton scores and... Wayne Simmons has been actually really, really good this series. Oh, he's been great. Like, way better than he was in the playoffs. Or, sorry, during the regular season. And, again, it goes to, like, playoff players. Mm -hmm. But you and I do confidence rankings when it comes to baseball players. When we're watching a team, the Blue Jays, and updating throughout the season who you want to see come up to the plate in a big spot. And it is shocking that Jason Spezza, a guy who, again, was sat in a first game when he joined the Toronto Maple Leafs, is, and who I, and I'll admit it, hand up, I had the take of, I was like, is it even that bad? This is a guy who's healthy scratch the year before in the playoffs with Dallas. Like, maybe he's just done. Is this guy. And, yeah, is just, you know, always threatening, always finishing a check, always, again, in on... Uh, Big plays, big shifts, reliable. I, I again, I, I would hate to be a Senators fan because this guy's a Leaf. This is this guy's going down forever as a Leaf. Like it just, it is what it is. Kyle Dube is having an incredible series, really, truly. Well, uh, yeah, the Leafs' depth is showing up, and everything <laughs> is working. And if you're looking at Bergevin, like, what's the cap difference? It's uh, it's been incredible. The, the contrast between these two teams it was predictable, but we had to see it on the ice. And honestly, there's been a lot of positive hockey over the last half decade, even longer than that, that has not translated once the games mm -hmm. turn into playoff mode. But for the first time, again, since yeah. 1987, team has a 3-1 series lead, which is almost impossible to believe, but it's, <laughs> it's the reality after losing yeah. seven straight Game fours leading two to one, uh, looking to close out the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday, which would mean we get no fans in the stands for that potential oh. game six on Saturday. But I think we'll. I got to tell it. you, we'll be okay. I I uh, I I want nothing more than to rob Habs fans of that moment. Um, I also kind of thought actually let those people in and then like almost throw game five just so you can destroy them in their own building in front of those fans in game six. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know what? Can't can we put yeah. them in? Can we put the twenty five hundred Habs fans in the Bell Center mm -hmm. to watch on the jumbotron Game Five in Toronto, yeah. just so we can see the reactions? Yeah. <laughs> again, I, I really wish we were having conversations about getting some people into the building for Toronto Round Two. Again, we're at uh, almost seventy percent of our city's population has at least one dose when it comes to adults, and we keep seeing these commercials on TV about how vaccinations are the plan back to normal and how it's like, we're going to, this is the path. And it's like, okay, well, everybody's getting them and we're getting them better than like any city in the world. And we're still quite far behind. So when are we going to see some of that progress? Did you see the Tavares video? Yeah. Well, it just have his part of his face on a phone. Yeah. Okay. Here's my theory. That hat is a big signifier. How many guys who have headaches wear hats? If you're hungover, 
You want to put a hat on? Do you have a headache? Do you put a hat on? No. Hats are the devil when you have a headache. And John Tavares wearing a hat in that video. And I don't, like, whatever. I, I just am clinging on to that hope that he can somehow get back at some point in this series. But did you not expect, like, someone to be holding the phone? Like, first of all, he's looking at a screen. That's bright. He's in a well-lit room. He's sitting up, and he's wearing a hat. I'm happy for John Tavares' health. Duh, that's first and foremost, once again, to everybody out there, because for some reason you have to do this now as though you're some monster who wouldn't automatically think that. But just, I when he went down, I thought, and he released the statement, I was like, oh, that's it. Like, he's obviously completely done for the postseason, and that's awful, and sucks that this guy in such an important year who loves the Leafs the way that he does is the captain who bleeds blue and white is not going to be able to play. Seeing him in a hat, seeing him sitting up, seeing him looking into his cell phone, I'm more optimistic. I'm sorry. I, I broke that video down, and I know that's probably all reaches. And if I saw John Tavares now, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Did you not see the play? I would yeah. just say, why did you wear that hat? <laughs> yeah. I, I, if okay. I wasn't concussed, why would I <laughs> wear this wear hat? <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about. I, maybe. I yeah. got to say, didn't. Yeah think at all about any of those things but good for like you could barely even see him in the video it was like a quick little snippet i paused it (laughs) like a side view of a phone i I paused it i paused it i looked i saw smiling sitting up what Mm -hmm. no yeah listen i i'm not gonna push back on any of that how about Mm this maybe maybe all right. Yeah. <laughs> no maybe about Leafs looking uh, like the far superior hockey team through four games. Uh, we'll talk to Julian McKenzie next, uh, Montreal, of uh, The Athletic, NHL associate editor. He joins us next. Good show continues. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Well, we have to go back to that Chris Johnston tweet early in the season about the Montreal Canadiens being a juggernaut to really pinpoint the moment it all started going wrong <laughs> because they look pretty good josh That's anderson true. flying around hey first game never. maybe the most exciting game of the season that first game of the year between the leafs and habs cj man good ontario boy <laughs> you know <laughs> just throwing the hex in right away he saw it and he's like all right i'll stick the uh, stick a stick in this spoke don't let this wheel keep turning. <laughs> Boom, juggernaut. <laughs> All right, let's go to Montreal to talk to uh, Julian McKenzie, uh, host of Hockey Inside Out and uh, the Athletic NHL associate editor, joins us online right now. Julian, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. How's it going? Uh, things are going well. Sounds like I'm going to have to talk to CJ after this is over. You guys really enjoy the juggernaut comment. But, uh, yeah, yeah, things are good. Uh, can't say the same for uh, a lot of Canadian fans after yesterday's performance. Okay, so yeah, this is where uh, I want to go with this today because naturally I'm I'm not exactly uh, the most easygoing guy who is not uh, bragging to his Hab fan friends, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just this is an echo chamber situation where like uh, my friends know the only way to try to distance themselves from the horrible things that I'm sending them in text or the voice notes I'm sending or the voicemails that I'm leaving and like all the bridges I'm burning. But um, the response seems to be, and I've seen this online a lot, which is, well, Montreal's not that good anyways, and this wasn't really our year. And there's a bit of like dissociation. Where do you think that this is going to go if they do lose this next game, if this is Leafs in five, when it comes to conversations about this Habs offseason? 
Oh man, I think they've already started. Like so many people have started, at least from what I've seen off of forums and, and Twitter and all that, just with a lot of questions are going around this leadership core. Uh, Mark Bergevin, the general manager, put together the team that he has there. Yes, he made the additions that he did in the offseason, but ultimately the guys as the so as the leadership core, you look at a guy like a Shea Weber, you look like a, at a guy like a, a Brennan Gallagher, a Carey Price as well. And people are just wondering, you know, what, what changes are going to be made with the roster. People are wondering what changes are going to be made with Mark Bergevin and whether or not he could still, you know, stick it out after this year. There were apparently uh, there's questions of whether or not he could be back or whether or not he could be extended or whatever. There's a lot of questions. And I think a lot of people are just kind of angry and they're starting to ask those questions right now. It, it, it's a really interesting time. Uh, if they lose game five, it's going to be – it's just going to be a lot of people just going to Twitter, just dumping on the Canadians right there, and, and just kind of calling for everybody, really. Which I guess is not expect is not an unexpected coincidence, yeah. but there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah, I just wonder whether or not those changes are going to happen. And I, I got to think, man, it's just it's really risky letting Mark Bergevin decide this offseason. Like we went into this year, and the way that it started before CJ did the CJ thing, right? And we all thought, hey, is this guy actually going to be in the running for executive of the year? Like, this is looking great. The Anderson contract could be really good. This team looks really solid. But now they're entering an offseason where they, they got to pay to know. They've got to make some decisions on guys like Armia and, and Lekkanen. And I think Stahl walks and probably Tatar they walk away from. But there are, like, are some pretty significant decisions coming up here, and they're probably going to have to find some pretty creative ways to move some money around if they're going to change this core or they're going to change this team in a meaningful way. Like, I, we talked about this a lot with Edmonton, where it's hard to see the path forward. With Montreal, there are more options, but again, it's like, if they lose this series... There's no way you can just roll into next season and say, well, it's going to be the first full year of Caulfield and we're going to hope for some internal improvement from guys like we'll get Evans back. It, it feels like it's it's going to need more than that. Yeah, but for some of the players that you might want to move, like, like what do you do, right? Say the Canadians realize, you know what, Shea Weber is not cutting for us anymore. He's oh, yeah. not nearly as mobile as he was before. Like, good luck trying to move that salad. Uh, Carey Price, you know, like a lot of people all year, uh, I guess from February onward to now, people were dumping on Carey Price. Say you want to move on from a Carey Price contract. That's way too expensive. I mean, the Canadians would have to retain a significant amount of salary in order to move some of these players uh, that are part of their court if they felt they would even want to even do that. And I'm not even convinced that they would necessarily even want to do that. Uh, and, and one other player that I'm very intrigued about for their future that has not really been talked about a lot because he hasn't played in this series, but imagine what he would be doing if he wasn't in the series is a Jonathan Drouin, a guy who was making five and a half million dollars this year, but had to leave the team due to personal reasons. And his future is very much up in the air. Um, there's a lot of things. And, and even that guy, he has not had necessarily had the greatest time as a Montreal Canadian and trading him away wouldn't necessarily be the easiest fit. So there's a, there's a lot of tough decisions for Mark Bergevin if he still stays on as GM this offseason for him to do if, gets to a point where he wants to make some real significant changes to the lineup. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling about the way Montreal feels about Drouin that his name hasn't come up like once. No. Like Toronto loses the series and it's like they're missing Felino, they're missing Tavares and Drouin's making five and a half million bucks and there's not been one mention like you're the first person, this is the first conversation I've had where his name has been mentioned. 
Yeah. I, here's the thing. Like, Jonathan Drouet this year, I have to say, of all the years that he's been here, at least at different stretches, it looked as if he was going to have himself a good year. The problem is, is that he wasn't scoring any goals. He was getting the assist. He just was not scoring. And I think for a lot of fans in the city uh, who had watched Jonathan Drouet as a Canadian and were so frustrated with him as a Canadian up until this point, they didn't give him a lot of leeway whenever he made a mistake. He could, I've seen him have games this year where he might get an assist or he's doing some good things, but he may do like a giveaway and everyone just dumps on him. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And up to now, we do not know the full extent of why Jonathan Drouet is not available for the Montreal game. But a lot of people like to speculate and say it's a mental thing or, you know, it's, it's the co- and a lot of people are commenting on the different comments that fans have been putting out there for Jonathan Drouet. I've seen fans say that Jonathan Drouet has quit on this team, and I think that's absolutely shameful for them to say. But this is a guy who I think the Canadians could, could have really used in the playoffs right here. Not to say that he would have been scoring all these goals, but – a team that sorely needs some offense and needs some creativity, seeing the way Cole Caulfield has been playing in the two games that he's played, trying to get offensive chances, skating through the zone, but working with Nick Suzuki on some plays. You don't think Jonathan Duran would have been able to at least, you know, try to help him out in some way? I, I, I feel, not to say that he would have been an ultimate game changer, but I think Jonathan Duran would have helped at least a little bit in this series. Couldn't hurt. Uh, talking to Julian McKenzie. Um, how much of the problem here goes back to the fact that they had no business even being in that bubble, right? And they expanded it, and they were, what, the last team, second last team to be invited in. And then they go out, and Carey Price stands on his head, and they win that that qualifying series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And perhaps there's a an idea that they're closer to contention than they actually are. How do you view what happened in the bubble in relation to where this franchise is right now? Honestly, I still I, I I was on the side that said that the Canadians should probably you know in a full season they should be going into the lottery. And I at first I thought, oh well, they're in the bubble; it's not going to work out for them. I still think that the performance that we saw from the Canadians in the bubble last year was still really encouraging for the organization. From my personal standpoint, as a yeah, unbiased viewer, I suppose, but I'll just say that the execution, I guess, with with trying to make the lineup you know, for this season a little better. It, it, I think this, they were missing another center. I think the mistake was made when, and it's rather unfortunate considering the way Jesperi Kakinami and Nick Suzuki play, but I think if the Canadians had entered the season with a surefire center in that depth, uh, that would have ultimately changed things. But I don't think it's right to kind of say that the their, their performance in the bubble last year, uh, you know, necessarily probably shouldn't have happened or, or, you know, to kind of look negatively on that. I still think it was good for a lot of those players for them to get some playoff experience, play in some meaningful hockey games and show that if they really play well, they could just beat a team like a Pittsburgh Penguins in any type of series. But I, I definitely, I think when you look back at the off season and yes, they had a really good first month of the year, but it just goes to show that maybe Mark Bergman didn't necessarily build the most optimal roster for this team. And maybe there were some changes that could have been made. Maybe the defense could have been a bit more mobile. Maybe they could have used another, like I mentioned, another center down the middle that would have really helped them and also kind of break up the middle of the ice. One big thing about this series right now against the Leafs, the Leafs are not giving them that much space in the middle of the ice. The Canadians are firing shots from the wing. Like, Yol Armia had, like, four shots on net yesterday, and, like, three of them were from the wall, from the half wall, right? So, Canadians are not getting anything in the middle, and the Canadians could have definitely used a player who would be able to kind of break through and, 
and, and take advantage of that space and also some more speedier guys. Well, well, that's the thing, right? Like there was so much promise for this team at the beginning of the season and a lot of excitement coming off that bubble performance, but things kind of fell apart during the regular season. Plus, they're playing the best team in the division, a team with legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations. Does it need to be viewed through that lens as well? Like do we need to, when evaluating the future of this hockey team, look at the opponent that they're facing and just, you know, just give the Leafs a ton of credit for sucking the absolute life out of this team at the moment? The Leafs deserve a lot of credit, but I also think that this also still looks pretty bad on the Canadians because mm-hmm. they're playing a Leafs team that does not have John Tavares. What, you guys would probably say they're the team's second best player, third best player at the worst, right? He's the second most important, for sure, when it comes yes. to forwards. Sure. Uh, how many goals does Austin, Austin Matthews have in this series? He has one. Mm-hmm. He has one exactly. goal in this series. Uh, William Nylander, who at best is probably like the team's, what, third or fourth most important player, he's played like the best player for the Leafs in this series. Yes, the Leafs deserve a lot of credit for the way that they played them defensively, but it's not as if the Canadians are dealing with Austin Matthews playing like a freight train every single night. Yes, he's picked up points, but, you know, I would have thought he would have had two or three goals in this series. That has not been the case. The Canadians are losing to a Leafs team that is not at full strength, his best players have not necessarily been dominating them. And it's the other guys, the Alex Galchenyuk with the performance he had yesterday, Jason Spessa getting a goal, Joe Thornton getting a goal as well. And I mentioned Nylander as well. I think that also needs to be considered. The Canadian, what makes this, I guess, frustrating for the Canadians is it's one thing if the Leafs had full strength and, and it was at full strength and their top line guys were defeating them and, and beating them handily. The Canadians are are, are, are getting man are getting manhandled by William Nylander, the, the the role players, and Jack Campbell, who's been really good. I don't think he's broken as much of a sweat as Carey Price has. So I think that's very disappointing on the part of the Canadians. Dude, you nailed it. So I think that that narrative that Ben just spun there, the you're facing a cup contender at the top of the it's like uh uh-uh, like no 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 again they're missing Tavares they're missing Felino and their top line has yeah. not been going the story for Montreal heading into this thing in terms of like why you thought they had a chance or why people thought they had a chance was depth right and they're mm-hmm. losing to Toronto's depth Galchenyuk didn't start in the lineup Engvall didn't start in the lineup Brooks wasn't supposed to be in the lineup Joe Thornton has been like woof He's not moving very well, and I'll tell you from like Leafs vantage point. I know he scored last night, but there's a lot of relief usually when he goes to the bench because it just looks like a guy who can't keep up with the speed of this game anymore. Um, Wayne Simmons is dominating. Like I, I don't know how you could reconcile Kerfoot is dominating as a Has fan. Like oh well, you got beat by the best of Toronto. Like I, I'll just ask you this. Period. It's like you looking at this as an outsider who doesn't have like the emotional investment in Toronto right now. It's like. Do you even think the Leafs are playing well? Like, do you, like defensively, yes, it's been responsible. They're keeping Montreal at the outside. But a lot of that also just feels like a Montreal inability thing, like you mentioned, to get to the middle of the ice or create traffic. It's just, it's been a lot of bad Montreal and just okay Toronto has been good enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Leafs are the better team in this series. But no I could point to stretches where, you know, the Canadians and the Leafs looked even. And if you take out like a second, the second and third period of what game three, where they allowed like two goals in each of them, uh, and a few other moments here and there, this series looks a little bit more even. And and that's not to say like, oh, the Canadians are a super good team that could match up against the best team in the division. It's just that the Leafs just, I don't know. I thought they'd be 
a little bit more of a firepower. And I'm not saying they haven't been good. It's just, Same. again, I thought I thought Austin Matthews would be producing more. I thought uh, Mitch Marner would be producing more, the top-line guy. Then, obviously, John, not having John Tavares in the lineup plays a role in this. One other thing I'll mention here as well is one thing that's just – I think if you're a Canadian fan, I usually be more frustrated with this. Like, one big thing – yes, you mentioned that the Canadians one asset to them that was going to help them with the death. The physicality thing. I think that we – some people have kind of overrated it a little bit because in every game so far in this series, the Montreal Canadiens had outhit the Toronto Maple Leafs. That hasn't necessarily translated into wins, one. Two, I don't know if you guys have seen the same thing I've seen, but whenever the Canadians get into these scrums with these other players on the Leafs and, or just any type of hitting or anything like that, like I don't get the sense that the Leafs are being – bullied and intimidated and, and are cowering. Every time you see Austin Matthews and where he's from, he's smiling and just trying to shrug these things off. There's like another moment where like Nick Suzuki's like looking at Mitch Marner and, and Mitch Marner's just giving him a shrug. There's, I, if the Canadians were hoping that the physical aspect of their game would at least kind of batter down the Leafs, it, that has not worked at all. And, and I'll mention this again, like, and I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, but like Ben Sherrod at one point Getting a hit on Zach Hyman in the offensive zone, completely ignoring the puck, the puck going into the neutral zone, and eventually leading to an odd man rush. Some of the physicality the Canadians have shown has led to taking bad penalties and and negative plays against them. So, yeah, it's it, it just the combination of a lot of bad things for the Canadians in this series. The Leafs have done okay, but I think the Canadians have just looked worse. So I think there's two things. One is that Toronto is just a more mature team that's now been in a bunch of these big games. Like, down the lineup, they have a bunch of guys that have done it, but also their, like, younger leadership core I don't think gets rattled in the same way. And I think that they're recognizing that as a sign of, well, they don't have any other option. But two is, I really do believe this matters. And some people would probably say this is a hot take, but the Leafs having the toughest guy in the series and Wayne Simmons, like, that really matters to me. That feels like it's always a, a thing that hangs over everyone, where it's this, like, nuclear deterrent of, hey – cool like keep running around but eventually maybe Wayne Simmons is going to do something and like there was a play in front of the net I can't remember who it was on the halves yesterday where it was like Simmons gave him a little bit of lumber and he turns around and he sees that it's Wayne Simmons and like the play is dead and he's going and he's barking at Shea Weber and Sherratt and I don't think that those guys are like afraid of Wayne Simmons but I do think that there's a that like I think that there's a level of confidence with players that stems from knowing that, hey, we do have this guy and he's playing so effectively that he's on the ice all the time and he's crunching Brennan Gallagher and he's not afraid to throw the body mount. Like, I, I really do believe that that matters a lot when a team is playing the way Montreal is. I, I agree, but I think what also helps is for a guy like Wayne Simmons and the Leafs, if they ever want to get aggressive like that, one, they know that, you know, they have a series lead. They're in in almost every game that they've been playing. And if the Canadians want to get over-aggressive and, and all that, they don't necessarily have to bark back. They can eventually get themselves a goal from somebody in this lineup and control the play. A lot of the physic- physicality the games have been showing, it comes as a result of them just chasing the play and, tr- and chasing the game and trying to make something happen. The Leafs have not been in too many instances in this series where they've had to chase a game against the Montreal Canadiens. So I think if you're Wayne Simmons, uh, or anyone on the on the Toronto Maple Leafs who wants to get down in the dirty area, areas against the Ben Sherratt or Shea Weber, you can go in there with some confidence knowing that you have a series lead and you've been dominating most of this series. Uh, Julian, this is great. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, buddy, Thanks so much for having me.
Thanks, Thanks for so much uh, for having me, man. means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to you later, man. See ya. See ya. There's uh, Julian McKenzie, host of Hockey Inside Out and uh, The Athletic, NHL associate editor out of Montreal. Yeah, there's... You know who else believes that Wayne Simmons is kind of important to the deterrent of things physically? Is every player on that team, including Sheldon Keefe, who for a certain reason keeps putting him out there off the opening draw of these games, right? Well, he's also playing incredibly well. Like, if you look at even the the advanced stats, like his shot share... The way that he's playing five on five, it's completely different from what he was doing in the regular season. Again, this is the same thing with why they went out and got Felino. And I know that you're not seeing him right now because he's hurt, but it's just it's a it's so cliche, and I hate saying it, but it's just it's such a different game. Like it's such a different game than what we've been watching through the regular season and when it's playing the Vancouver Canucks eight times with no like. These guys meaning something in these games, like I don't, I don't know how many times we have to learn this lesson when we have some of our like hot takes in a regular season. Like that's the most obvious thing to me. It's just there are certain guys built for this style of hockey, and Wayne Simmons is one of them, and starting to believe that Alex Kerfoot's one of them too. Yeah, Wayne Simmons giving the Montreal Canadiens a scolding in between periods. It's important mm-hmm. as they go to the dressing room. All right, when we come back. We'll talk to Mike. I think Fuda. Wayne Simmons yelling in your face wouldn't like change the way that you have a look at when oh, you see me, Wayne yeah. Simmons on the ice. I'd be like, yeah. "Oh, that's cool! Like, I don't have to go to the bathroom uh-huh. anymore because it's all yeah. in my pants. That's great." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, our buddy Mike Fuda, former Kings assistant general manager, joins us next. It's good show. Ben Ennis, JD Bunkus, Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. Last time Leafs won a playoff series. I was in high school. Brian McCabe was the second leading scorer of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is that a long time ago? It's an unfortunately long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's a devastating long face. time ago. I know, All those dude. Lines, the marks. I, oh. the, the thing I'm really actually like high school, whatever, is so far away. It's actually hard to like even remember my high school self. But. Um, like you really got to like focus in and think about it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still it's it's really difficult wrapping my mind around how long it's been since Jay's runs in 2015 and 16. That's th- those are the ones that get me in terms of, you know, like things that make you feel old. I don't know. That's it for me. Is knowing that that wasn't 2 years ago anymore. E- that what was 2 years ago is Kawhi. Kawhi dunking on Giannis was 2 years ago. That's See, to me, it's like every time I go downstairs for breakfast yeah. and I every time you the walk, hu- the, the hu- yeah. yeah, there's that. There's like me. I played uh, yeah. 18 holes of golf, and it's like I still have not yet recovered because yeah. uh, <laughs> I walked. Oh, yeah. killing the, my pedometer on my phone, by the way. Just like boom, mur- like 15,000 steps or whatever. Attaboy. That's that's what happens when you walk around a round of golf. And you can make fun mm. of golfers not being athletes, sure, whatever. If you're just Joe Blow playing golf and you walk, it's not nothing as far as physical exertion, okay? You disagree? Hey, no, listen. I, nobody My bag asked, is but full yeah. of golf balls, yeah. too, because I'm afraid yeah. of losing them because I'm terrible mm-hmm. hitting him in the yeah. water. So I got – my golf bag has got to be 20 pounds, slogging it around for Who'd four hours. Who would you play hours. with yesterday? 
Uh, just uh, random. My regular, no, my regular uh, group that I used to play with my dad, who is now laid up because of his back. But yeah, the yeah. other three members or other oh, wow. two members of that foursome. Does that your dad know that dad. you're doing this? That uh, not only does he know, he encouraged it. He wants to know what our tea times are. Like, he needs to be informed. Like, he's on the phone to the guy who's making the tea times. He's like, where you got it? You got to get him? Are you gonna, when, when are you guys going to play? How are you going to play? How did you play? What's going on? What's the weather like? What's the course like? He called me. So I had to quickly, after the show was done yesterday, get in my car, get out there, because I wanted to get this thing done as soon as possible. So I'm on the range trying to hit as many balls. Phone's ringing. I'm like checking it. It's him. Mute him. I'll call him later when I'm on the goal. Called again as I'm addressing the ball on the first tee, getting ready to hit my – like he cannot stay away. And I guess you need something when you can't do anything. To me, it would be – I don't know. It would be hard when you want to do something so badly and you can't to, to, to continually torture yourself by talking to me who can, even though I played poorly. But it was fun to get out there. Anyways, why, why are we talking about this? What do you mean? Because Remind it's me. fun and well, we're going to talk about the Leafs, obviously, and we've been talking about the Leafs for an hour. I was curious as to, you know, who you played with because you play with your dad a lot. I actually have an idea for you. I think that mm-hmm. if you're a good son, what you should do, and I think your dad's probably listening to this right now, so mm-hmm. now you actually have to say that he can't do this. I think what you should be doing is letting him be your virtual caddy. Dude, like, he should, be, he should be on one of those, like, selfie sticks and your dad should be – you should be having conversations with him about what club to use and – you know, well, what he thinks, because you're playing this. at your local club, right? Yeah, it's the, the right. course I've been hit, hit, a member at Where he's a member. Years old. That's yeah. what I mean, well, and I mean, how long is your... He's not giving up his membership, even though he cannot play this summer. Yeah. The, the medical right. community has unanimously agreed he should not be swinging a golf club before right. next spring. No, your but dad is Tiger Woods, giving same up... guy right now. It's, yeah, it's like he... I... <laughs> he's not giving up his membership, because very soon... He's mm-hmm. going to be able to get into a car, not drive a car for another four to six weeks. Just be in get the car. In a, in a car. So I will drive him to the golf course with us. He will get in a cart and bring his putter and be the fourth member of our foursome despite not taking any shots until he gets to the green. That's his plan, and it will happen soon, and he'll enjoy it. And I'm, I'm glad that he can get out of the house at some point. Either way, yada, 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 no transition to our next guest. Uh, it is Mike Fuda, former Los Angeles Kings assistant general manager, kind enough to join us online right now. What's going on, Mike? How are you guys? <laughs> Doing segue. Right. Golf. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, no segue needed. Uh, we're just going to leave that there. Probably a little bit too much of uh, talking about Ben's dad's golf game on a day where the Leafs have gone up 3-1 in a series against uh, the team that the fans hate the most, I would say, universally. So let me just start with this, Mike. Are the Leafs playing well? <laughs> oh my god yeah they're uh okay. it's it's fun to watch actually it's, it's it's just been for all the big leafs habs you want to see this series you want to see this series it's just been just hasn't been the leafs have just been too dominant i guess <laughs> i guess that's good for leaf fans but it's just not been it's not been as great hockey to watch i've been very disappointed with the habs so and pleased with the Leafs. I mean, considering uh, as well, missing Tavares and Felino. I mean, God, they just that was just fun to watch last night. And then, and then the nostalgia of having Thornton, Thornton and Spezza scoring the big goals. It's pretty cool. 
guys on yeah. their minimum minimum con, minimum contracts scoring goals like that. It's just been it's fun to watch. And for personally, Jack Campbell's been pretty good. <laughs> He's been pretty good. So the reason that I ask this is because, yeah, man, I'm looking at, at it through the lens of I'm obviously enjoying it, right? Like I have been waiting literally since I was in high school for the Leafs to be in this spot. So, yeah, um, it's fun. It's fun for me to do it. But, yeah, just like Montreal's inability to get to the middle of the ice, Montreal's inability to generate offense, their inability to do anything on the power play. Um, you have to give Toronto credit. You certainly have to give Jack Campbell credit, and, and obviously we're going to talk about him with you too. But, yeah, that's that's the part I'm trying to parse out is how much of this is Toronto credit versus Montreal ineptitude because, yes, they for a team that preaches that they have depth, I, I don't know where it's been. It's 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 been outstanding to watch. I mean, I, I think it's credit, and, I, and the, the guy that's evolved the most for me is Sheldon Sheldon Keith. I mean, he's the, on, the, on the bench. He just looks now. He looks like a confident first person. Not these. It's just even the way he now addresses referees and stuff. He looks like he's in charge. He looks like a general on the bench, and and he seems to have the teams. It gets, it's 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 fun to watch. It's really fun to watch how he's balled as a, a National Hockey League coach. But um, I'm really like it, it's like Montreal looks dis, disheveled, like the exact opposite. Like it's like the coach looks like he's waiting for directions from up above, and the team just doesn't look it doesn't look energized. And it's, it's disappointing. And you can see it on the the eyes of. Uh, of the goaltender, I think he deserves so much more. Like he's had such a great career, and he's and he's sitting there, almost looking around, like, "What's what's going on here?" Like Toronto's a good team, but you have to compete against them, and they're not. Even, they don't even look like they're competing. So it's been tough, but it's. But as a Toronto fan, I can understand how you would watch it and just be just, "Wow, we're wiping them out with these guys." That's yeah. it's not it. It hasn't even been close. Has not no. even been close. Other, other than other than Gary Price, it hasn't even been close. No, it's not. It's two teams playing different sports. Seemingly, uh, it has not been close. And yeah, it's a sometimes a mugs game to read into body language. But I thought the same thing. You look at that team uh, in that game, and at a certain point, they all knew <laughs> where this was headed. It's been enough of a sample in this uh, in this series throughout the course of the regular season that they're just not on the same level as the the Toronto Maple Leafs and. Sheldon Keefe can do things like take out the defenseman who's running the number one number one power play unit, and he's a young kid, and he's only playing just over ten minutes a game, and say, nope, you're not playing on a back to back to put in a guy in Travis Dermott who's been fine, but not nearly the same responsibility. I, I, I think the Brooks thing is maybe a little bit different because he's really not shown much love to Riley Nash at all. Uh, and he's coming off a, a long layoff as well. But the Sandine decision, in particular, w- what did you make of that? It's you know what, it's just I think it's a little bit of down the road. You're probably gonna you're probably going to uh, run into an injury where you need to have a guy that's been playing. And it's it's it was, you know it was it was good. It was it shows a little bit of love to you know Dermot, but. It's it's confident building thing. I think if it wasn't a, I think if it wasn't a back to back, he probably would not have made that decision. But again, I think fortunately, like uh, like Winnipeg's sitting there waiting, 
they're going to need these guys to have some some legs under them. So getting some experience, I bet you he goes back to Sandine in the next game. Uh, and, and I agree with you. The Nash thing is a bit of a different one. I think that's just a – Foligno is going to be ready to go and he'll be back in. It's just unfortunate. He just has not played, right? It's just such a long layoff. And to, I think, obviously, he must have looked good in practice for him to start him in game one. But it's just a comfort level. Sometimes coaches see things in games, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to go with guys that I'm comfortable with and I've seen. So the Nash thing, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. He just hasn't played enough hockey. So, it's, it's, a, it's again, it shows the depth they have and – Kudos to Kyle Dubas because uh, it's one thing to say next man up, but if the next man up sucks, <laughs> it's troublesome. But the guys they're pulling into the lineup are all playing well. Yeah, and that's just it. So they lose Tavares, and then all of a sudden, like they move Felino to second line center, and I go, okay, that's a real testament of where they feel they're at down the middle that they're going to ask him to be doing this right now. And then through two games, I didn't really love Engvall last night, but he's been quality, I think. And and he's driven some play, and he's given them exactly what they need as a third-line center. Kerfoot, we were discussing potentially being the story of this series. Like, it's between he, Nylander, and Jack Campbell. Like, or maybe team defense, because Toronto's done such a good job keeping them on the outside. Like, maybe Keefe is a down-ballot guy in terms of things that you would look at and say, well, this is the story, but... What what is it to you? Because there have been some surprising things in this series, man. Like you lose Tavares and you lose Felino. I really wouldn't have expected this level of dominance. No, you guys. And I know you guys have been tough on, uh, very tough on Engvall, um, and rightfully so at times. But but uh, I'll tell you right now, I photoshopped him into like multiple Kraken jerseys and was like, <laughs> yeah, this makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one thing in, in, in the same thing when when everybody wanted to add a new a, a top forward, it was Kerfoot, the guy that, that was gone, right? That's the yeah. guy you got to put in every trade package. Did that he's too? Been, he's been unbelievable. Like like and uh, and, good, and good on him because <laughs> that's kind of the that's the player that was kind of dominant in Colorado uh, for for periods of time, and that's why he was included in that trade. And it's taken him a long time to find his niche, but for whatever reason, my God, he's throwing his way. He's finishing checks. He's doing stuff that, and it's the only thing missing is fans in the stands. It's like it kills me switching channels and going to the to the Nashville Carolina game and seeing it just packed because this is something that would be, just be amazing for fans to be able to watch live. But uh, no, they're, they're good, good on the guys that have stepped up. And uh, again, I would expect, uh, obviously I don't expect Tavares back, but I would expect Foligno back soon. I, I don't, and the good thing now, the way this team's playing, you don't have, if it's a lower bike, I mean, whatever, it looks like it's like, if it's a groin or a muscle issue, you don't have to rush him back in the way your team's playing. You can, you can, you can not put him in and let him heal properly, and uh, and again, it's just it's been just pure dominance. So, and it's it's amazing for me to watch too because, like, to watch it's just weird watching Freddie Anderson, like Freddie, come out and congratulate Jack, like he's the guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's and it's I feel sorry because he's such a great he's he's a great competitor too, and I think they're going to need him along the way. But this has just been a. So far, it's just been a whitewash. Okay, so I, I got to say I'm a little torn on the Anderson thing just from this standpoint of 
Freddie Anderson got leaned on for, you know, 60 starts a season, and then he gets thrown into the fire against the Bruins twice, the Capitals, and then a five-game series against Columbus where his team just frankly doesn't score. And I do believe Jack Campbell's played well. I think the third period of Game 3, obviously, especially. But I can't imagine being Freddie Anderson and watching this from the bench and thinking, wait, so we lead all this time and now we're facing a team with just zero offensive punch where I probably get... I, like, do, Does anybody think that the series is different if he's in net? I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, I don't know if I do. So I feel some empathy towards Anderson. But then I also look at Jack Campbell and I say, well, it's fine to play the games of ifs and maybes, but... This guy's done it, and he's done the one thing that you couldn't have in this series, right, which is leaky, bad goals where all of a sudden it shakes the foundation of your team. I, I, so part of me is like I don't know how to really evaluate Jack Campbell's game because there haven't been like overly spectacular saves, but the steadiness and especially considering some of the stuff that we talked about with you, somebody who knows him, when it was like handling the ups and downs and handling a starting goaltending job and, and being in these big pressure-filled p- moments – like, it's hard not to give him full marks. And again, consider him as one of the stories of the series, despite that lack of serious offensive firepower from Montreal. I agree with you 100%. But I mean, my fandom with Jack Campbell is knowing him as a kid and knowing what he's been through. Um, and and I because I, 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 don't, I don't have a background to say, well, this is what he did for me as a playoff goalie. Uh, I mean, I saw him do it in the American Hockey League. Um, I'm just happy for him as a person, and uh, and to do it under the the specter of Leaf Nation, and him genuinely being a great teammate is fun to watch. Uh, I agree with you 100. percent I think they're going to need Freddie before this is said and done. I don't think this has been a huge test, but the one thing I would say to you, and I think you hit it bang on, is Jack, and to his credit, is not letting that leaky goal that allows Montreal to get their bravado back or anything like he's there anytime they've had a push he's had the answer and that hasn't allowed their bench to just maybe say hey we're hey, we got a hey, we get a shot we got a shot and to for in, in, in the past and I agree 100% this is not like the Bruins or Tampa Bay the the, 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 the dominant offenses that were coming at Freddie but he did let in leaky goals at yep. critical times, right? So, and as, as all Leaf fans would do, <laughs> you look and say, you're waiting for Jack to falter. Uh, and you know what? I'm, I still think Freddie's going to get the fights at some point. He's going to find the net. And that's just, just even just in general, it's just there's going to be teams that are going to put more pressure on. And I'm not, I mean, again, if all of a sudden, you know, you can never write a team off, but if ever a team looks dead and on the mat, it's Montreal. But even like Winnipeg now, sitting there waiting, uh, if they if they get their offense clicking, it's going to be tough because now you're going against Hellenbuck, and uh, I just I just it's one of it's one of those things that it's the lack of the leaky goal is what separated Jack so far. It's not, and again, it's just he's done what he's had to do. Could Freddie have done? It? Yeah, probably, but good on Jack. Good on Jack. And if Freddie gets in there, let's hope the leaky goal doesn't get through. But uh, I just, I'm such a supporter of him as a player and a person that this is really fun to watch. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It looks good on him. This guy was, uh, this guy was on, uh, he, like, this guy was headed to the East Coast League, you know, 
uh, so it's it's pretty fun to watch him do it in Leafs Nation. Talking to Mike Fuda, former uh, Kings assistant general manager. So I was with you before the series, before the postseason. I was like, it's great to have two really good um, goaltenders going into a postseason series, and that probably you're going to see Anderson in this first round in that back-to-back, and we didn't, and I agreed with the decision to go to Campbell again. I just don't know now what the, the situation is. Like, what is the leash on, on Campbell? Because I think it's extended. What is even the, the scenario in which Anderson gets in? I don't even think it's one game. Is it Because it, going into the series, I thought it was like one bad period, and maybe you make a switch. Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything in, uh, uh, short of short of you've got an opponent that runs you up, you're up 3 nothing or something, a couple of bad goals, and you make a change, and then you probably, short of Freddie, I mean, you're, you're only heading for a <laughs> So Freddie comes in and the team comes back and wins. Mm-hmm. Short of that, you go back to Jack. He's the right now. Uh, if you erase the salary cap issue and who makes more money, he's the starting goalie. <laughs> no doubt. And that's it. And that's the the mentality you have. When you post his playoff numbers right now, he is the starting goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you take away the history and the who makes more money, he's earned it. And, uh, and if he loses it, and that's happened in playoff series before where goaltenders have have – you know, I mean, remember when Bennington, you know, Bennington grabbed the grabbed the net, and now it's it's just so different to say because of the history of the goaltender. Mm-hmm. But that's the only scenario, really, is that Jack falters mightily, and Freddie grabs the net, and they start to win, and it's like, okay, you're the starting goalie again. It's just it's it, it, it's just not the it's uh what do you say it's David is not. It's the right now. Goliath is the backup. Yeah, listen, I, I, it's it's wild to me that on a back to back starter. I, yes. I know. I saw this. I saw the same thing, guys. I thought for sure if there was ever a window to throw Freddie in just to get him some ice, and good on them. I mean, because Jack and, and they get a shutout too. It's like just exclamation point. It's like yes. just an exclamation point. So, right. Like, again, this not being even like, – I can't even think of something that's less controversial on the team right now than the goaltending decision of going into that game. Like, Austin Matthews, your first-line center, and Jack Campbell's your starting goaltender. Like, those are things that you just know right now with conclusivity, and you're just not – you're not debating them. Um, you know what is going to get debated? And I, I wanted to get your thought on this, Mike, and I know this isn't Leafs-related or even playoffs-related right now, but Wayne Gretzky just quote tweeted the TNT announcing that he's joining them next season, you know, with his one, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So I, this is kind of a surprising move for me that Gretzky's doing this. I, I like, I have a lot of questions about like how much it's going to take, where he's going to live like money wise and all, all these different things. But Three million do you bucks. think there's any, well, do you think that there's any pressure on him? What do you think the impact of this is south of the border? Because TNT has an, uh, has an expectation of, our panel shows, when it comes to basketball, it's the best on the planet. Now you're taking the biggest name in hockey ever and putting him like front and center when it comes to hockey commentary in the United States. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, well, <laughs> without putting down the <laughs> the guys that make the panel for the basketball shows are absolutely hilarious. Yes. So 
and it's just their personalities. I mean, it's absolutely. And so unless I miss something over the years, Wayne isn't hilarious. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> did SNL that one time though. And that was, yeah, the greatest episode in the history of the show, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Like, it's just not like if, if everybody, like he gives the most professional interviews ever. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like been flawed. Like there's not a, you, you know, you don't find any dirt on him. Uh, but I don't like, I mean, unless I just can't find Unless there's something that I missed in the, I, I, I wasn't in the other dressing room. I saw the play in the bus, but yeah. it's not going to be must see hockey. Talking like having the greatest player in the history of the game break down what he saw. Unless he's really funny that I don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many guys. Like it's like no offense, Paul Bissonette, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's nasty. I mean, I coached them. I, you know, there's certain guys you know when they're done playing, they're going to be fun to watch. PK Subban, they're going to be fun to watch when they get on the panel when they're done. Kevin Bieksa, I just, again, I don't know him well. And, I, and honestly, I've met him. He's a professional gentleman. Obviously, I respect him as a player, but I've never yeah. sat there and just thought, wow, do I want to bust a gut telling stories with great ones. <laughs> oh, my sides! Uh, no, you didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, okay, man. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You, you too, too, buddy. Mike Fuda, uh, former Kings assistant general manager. So I have two thoughts on this. One is that it actually really speaks to, I think, where hockey is in the States culturally, that you need to go back and get the great one to be on a panel, even though there are going to be huge question marks in terms of like what kind of an analyst he's going to be given the personality traits that Fuda just outlined, right? That it's a little similar to the golf conversation we were having yesterday, which is who's the breakthrough star that you'd want on a panel? You know, who's the guy that you would want to show up and be and like, okay, maybe some guys that would retire, like if Ovechkin would join a panel, if, uh, Eventually, you know, P.K. Subban would join a panel. He always gets thrown around as, like, a guy that's going to be doing media someday. Um, sure, there's, like, a couple of names, but that ultimately the guy that they're targeting is not personality-based. It's name-based because hockey doesn't have a ton. Two is just simply, when Mike says Bizanet, if I'm Paul Bizanet, why would I do that? I already have this incredible platform where I have all this freedom to do whatever the hell I want. Why would I go anywhere where there's a restrictor plate on me? And I think that really speaks to just the direction that media is going to go where if you're good enough to and entertaining enough to draw your own audience, what's the point? You know, like why not just enjoy the creative freedom? I just think it's the right, like studio shows are the right move for certain people, right? Like there's no doubt about it. But I, I don't see – I bet you TNT and other outlets have pursued those guys, and it would take just an absolute godfather type of deal to to get them to move off of a spot like that given, you know, the platform they have, the freedom they have, and the money that they're definitely making. Right. Plus there's uh, a sect of society that looks at anyone that's worked for Barstool and they get they, – they're, they're, they cannot be touched with the 10-foot pole and ESPN yeah, yeah. even had a successful show – uh, with people who are not in the center of all that conversation and we're still persona non grata. So there's that element. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need to do that. Like, yeah, it's whatever. I, I doubt that that would play into this decision at all. But yeah, anyways, go on. Oh, I disagree. I disagree okay. because well, I mean, because Ryan Whitney, Ryan Ryan Whitney, and Paul Bissonette are exactly what. Like, if you were to say, "Hey, what is the hockey equivalent of the TNT panel from basketball?" Would it not be those? Like, that's the closest we've got. Do you sure, disagree? but both guys work for major networks. Like, so I'm just saying, like, Whitney works for NBC. He's done lots of stuff for NBC. Biznet works with – he's done a million things with Sportsnet. Like, I, I don't know how you could draw the line that they wouldn't be brought into a place like TNT when they're already working for major outlets that play it safer. Anyways, that's like – that's un, that's not a part of the conversation to me. It's just simply – what is Gretzky going to mean to hockey conversations south of the border? And I got to admit that – so I, I'm with Feuda where I, I saw it and I was like, huh, like that just seems like it's only about the name and whether or not it's going to resonate. And But you are TNT, so kind of the expectation is that you're going to have this loose and fun panel of guys. But all of a sudden it just – it actually does feel like south of the border Wayne Gretzky is now going to be the voice of hockey, that you're going to be watching panels and you're going to go to him and he's going to have to have the explanation. And if he's all in on it and he actually is good at this, I actually do believe that it's going to have like a massive resonance. The unfortunate part is it just it, – to me it does feel more likely that it's – not what you would hope it could ever be. Well, it, yeah. The fear is that he tries to go outside of who he is, but that's clearly not going to work. If he is just Wayne Gretzky and works as hard as possible about analyzing the game and gets mm -hmm. to talk to somebody and interact with somebody that he has good chemistry with, and apparently Charles Barkley put on the hard sell as part of mm -hmm. this, who knows him through charitable golf endeavors... And maybe Barkley is maybe not a full-time member of the panel, but is on it on occasion. And those I think they'll drop him in every once in a while for like comedic relief and to have him try to make people miss. You also have to remember that inside the NBA, that that's a show that's been running now for what twenty-five years. Yeah, I thought it was. Well, we just had Ernie Johnson on, and there was an anniversary celebration. Right, was it twenty-five or thirty. What? Either way, and it's not been with all of the same cast, but just right. that. Mostly. These things that are elite do take some time. So right. the way that it gets judged out of the first show is going to be a little difficult compared to where it can be and where it can go. Um, I just think it's going to be panned. That's my guess. It's going to be really interesting to see who they build around him and the other personalities because, yeah, um, all of a sudden if you get a bunch of like other funnier players – do you box him out? Do you end up making it a little bit more straight-laced and have it sound a little bit more like what hockey is and or or has been south of the border anyways, where it's like guys standing around the table being serious? Where I'm like, eh, you know? Um, we're going to see. I, I have the highest hopes for TNT in terms of, like, making panel shows interesting in the States. I actually think they're really good here. I, I'm... Part of the thing that sucked for me was thinking about how – I'm not sure Sportsnet's has ever been better. And I, I know that I work here, yeah. so it's like whatever my opinion, but it's so good. Like I enjoy so many different parts of the panel right now and like during the intermissions and so many different pieces. And like I, I just think that it's like very, very high level and that if you're TNT, you're kind of trying to 
get a little bit of what Sportsnet has in terms of the real friendships and real enjoyment of each other's work that that seems to be shining through in a lot of these broadcasts. But again, like it's taken reps and it's taken time and it, it didn't get there automatically overnight. No, that's it. You just hit on it. The reason that TNT show inside the NBA has been so successful is because it's they gave a it relationship time. show. Yeah. Well, they gave it time, but it's also a relationship show and it, it shines through and Shaq and Charles can go back with gentle and sometimes not so gentle ribbing and we understand the prior relationship. We understand that those guys have an underlying respect for each other and it goes outside the professional boundaries. The reason I think, and I agree with you that the Sportsnet panel is so good, is because everybody interacts on a, on a respectful and, and, and friendly level and it's good relationships between the people which is difficult when you're dealing with people in boxes on television screens not even in the same mm -hmm. room as people but they're still able to to pull that off yeah the that's what i component. like about ours is that it feels warm even though it's like a lot of people not in the same place the key component with wayne will be to try and make him feel warmer from a relationship standpoint so i don't know if that has to be somebody who knows him previously like a charles but somebody who makes it feel warm and, and makes it a relationship show. Because I have no doubt that Wayne Gretzky can break down the freaking game. I have yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. But th that, that inside the NBA is partly that, but it's mostly successful because you can get videos of Shaq falling asleep during the middle mm -hmm. of a basketball game and show that on social media and laugh about it on the show. Sparkly is falling asleep. Shaq taking videos of Barkley right no, now. No, it was that, the opposite. That's the bit. No. The bit Shaq? right now is the bit right now is that Charles keeps falling asleep and he fell asleep because he was talking about being in the sun all day. But okay. It's a good show on Sports Set 5 Night of the Fan. I'm JD Bunkus, Ben Annis. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus, at Sportsnet Ben. Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Share this podcast if you love it, all those things. Tell your friends, tell your family, do whatever. Our next guest is at the studio. He's, you know, roaming around. He's just, he's grinding, man. Like, he's got, he's had some days, so I appreciate it. But I also, like, Stewie, why are you texting me to let you in the building? I'm in my apartment. <laughs> like, tell someone to let me in. I'm doing a show. How about you show some a little respect for what I do, sir? Are you stealing money? I thought you'd be in studio here. I thought you were living here, but it uh, looks like someone's living here. Body. I'm seeing like all these sheets, seeing a toothbrush. <laughs> I think it's maybe Alberga or somebody. Someone's living around here. I'll get to the no, ball. Oh yeah, <laughs> all time oh, buddy, best you don't was think... the toenail that was found there once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dirty toenail in the studio, which we all know who did it. Mm -hmm. We won't say anymore because it triggers them. But, yeah, we all know. We all know who was the toenail bandit yeah, we who left the toenail in the studio. I would say that the front runners for living in the studio right now are Stellick and Alberga for sure. Yeah. Like, if there's anybody that's camped out there and, like, scattered away when you came in the building, hello, is anybody here? And they're, like, you know, just dumping the toothbrush and scrambling to run somewhere. It's those two guys. 100%. I think I see uh, Ben's footprint from when he has his feet up on the desk here. I think I see that from last yeah. year, too, sticking yeah, around yeah. here. <laughs> uh, you're are those suits? The are you still wearing those suits? So you're at least dressing in, uh, in those suits every day, oh, I hope. Yeah. I, sh I should. I have them in the closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I Dude. haven't put one on in a while. Nothing funnier than when Ennis, and when we first started doing the show together, he's like, I'm going to wear a suit every Friday, 
because wearing a suit every Friday is going to be like I'm classing it up and I want the respect and I read it in a book or a blog or something like that and it lasted <laughs> oh one Friday <laughs> before he started wearing shirts yeah. with holes in them again oh, and his yeah. like West 49 garb that he yeah. bought in like 2003 uh, and that he has never replaced. It's quite a thing. So uh, Quickly uh, here, I just want to interject here. Yeah. It's funny. I forgot my suit one day. It is one of the Fridays that Berkey comes in. He comes in suited up, booted up, and uh, I only had a golf shirt on. So I went to Berkey saying, hey, I usually dress a little bit better than this. Apologies. He's like, well, he's like, it's not uh, my fault or my problem if you want to dress like a bum. And I was like, okay, Berkey, thanks. <laughs> <A bum>. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it must be like Berkey's neighborhoods must be so nice. Like guys in yeah. golf shirts, he's like, "Oh, those poor bums!" Like just walking around in their Callaway shirts. <laughs> wow, no, only one Tesla. Oh, so sad. Uh, not three like me in my garage. So it's a good day. It's a good day for everybody here in uh, Southern Ontario. Well, not the people who, unfortunately, for whatever reason, cheer for the uh, team from not their province, which, sure, whatever, do your thing. But, um, yeah, it probably sucks for you right now. Either way, either way, it's good times. It's especially good times to be Anthony Stewart because how many times we had arguments over whether or not Engvall should ever play. You've been, you've been the leader of Pierre's pals. You've been the I, – I don't have a nickname for Kerfoot yet or for Kerfoot's fan club. Uh, Kerfoot Kangaroos. That's no good. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's tough too. That's, I, I, we can do better. We'll do better by the end of this Kerfoot's interview. Kids. But yeah. let's just—I I, want to start with Kerfoot because Engvall and he and Engvall are worlds apart. Engvall's been great, but Kerfoot, I was saying, has been one of the stories of the season. You know, this is something that you always kind of hammered with us as guys who are just built for bigger games, guys who are built for moments like this. We didn't quite see it last year, which makes it a little harder. But what what the hell is happening here, man? Like, explain this version of Alex Kerfoot. Well, I, I think right now he's just getting that opportunity to show what he can do. And, you know, when you have a big four with guys that are creating most of your offense, you're sort of now relied upon to do other things. But now that uh, Felino's out and John Tavares is out, you know, he's getting an opportunity to get out there and play some meaningful minutes. And, uh, you know, I, I just noticed, you know, the last quarter of the season, he had a little bit more hop in his step, whether he was playing 10, 12, or 14 minutes, he played the same way. And, you know, once you get an opportunity, especially in the playoffs, you sort of elevate your game uh, to, to the next level. And I think he's been probably, you know, the one of the feel-good stories for the Leafs this year just based on his play. And uh, he's really elevating his game, and it's good to see. But I noticed that trend uh, probably in the last quarter because he just seemed like he was edging to break out. But that's just, uh, you know, the reality of this team. When you have those guys that are relied upon from scoring, you have to find your niche. And he was an energy guy, a guy that would be going out, skating, playing the game the right way. But now that he has that moment now, he's making the most of this opportunity that he has. So I got three pitches now. I I got three. I'll go with my worst to my best. Kerr fans? No. Mm. Club Kerf? Club Kerf, obviously with two Ks. It's fine. I like that one. And then my last one is the Kerr Kooks. Also about, with a K. What about the Kardashians? Or when in doubt, just go Kernanderthals. Oh, that's the best one. Go Kernanderthals. No, Kerda- you can't go no, wrong. Ker- <laughs> no, you can't. No, you already did. You already yeah. did. Nia- like, and you got no credit for Neanderthals. Like, you invented that. No, you you did it. Some. And you just. No, not at all. It's just been completely stolen from you. And it's fine. Friedman gave like, me credit that the other day. Did he? Yeah, I thought so. On the mm. broadcast, I thought. I don't do I it for credit. He said it, but. Did- yeah, yeah, you just do it for yeah, creativity. Right. No, 
Kirftashians is the 100% the correct answer. Thank you. Okay, now it is settled. The Kirftashians are, are on the loose. They're taking over. They're everywhere. They're in the club. They're in the Kerf club. They're doing it all. But you're right, man. Like, he, he's gotten an opportunity, and he's, he's been shining. It's, it's been amazing. I, I, like, if it's not – okay, let me just put it this way now, actually. If Kerfoot's not the story of the series, is it Nylander? Is it Jack, is it Jack Campbell? What is it to you? Uh, it, it's got to be Nylander, and you know, there's a lot uh-huh. of fans. I mentioned this last night. They're advocating for him to be in the conversation with the best player uh, in the league. But when he plays the way he does, the way he's done this series, four goals in four games, I think it's it's safe to say. And you know, I talk about puck possession and just poise with the puck. I think next to to Matthews, I think he's probably the best player on this team. When the puck is in his hands. You're comfortable. You're not worried about him turning it over, throwing a pizza up the middle. You know he's going to make not just the right play, but as Jeff Merrick says, the better play. And just seeing him, you know, making those passes, you know, through seams and sauce passes too. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him on power play one a lot sooner than later because just his poise, he's elevated his game to the next level. And, uh, you know, it's tough to really doubt the Neander, Neander thals uh, when he's playing this way because he's playing, you know, top-notch hockey. No, By the way, right. I just got a submission. Um, this one comes from Dan, who says the Kerfoot clan, and I like that too. I got to say, as a Ninja right. Turtles guy, I'm in on that one. Uh, I'm the right age for that one. Kerfoot Al's clan pals is about is a- simple. But yeah, who calls mm. Alexander an Al, really? No, Al's pals, no. I'm not in for that. Too simple. It, I like Kerftashians and, <laughs> and Kerfoot clan way more. Those are the two now, is like, it just like Kerfoot clan makes a better t shirt, I think. Which has to be taken into account here. Whereas Kerftashians is like, that's more the fans of Kerfoot. So no, which, and uh, no, I don't think and I'm also Kerf, the Kerftashians is like kind of loathsome group. Like, are you really want to be part of the yeah. Kerftashians? It's like they've gotten here on what no skill, just famous for being famous. The Kerftashians, no, the Kerfoot mm-hmm. clan. Um, <laughs> you give me wanna, a billion I dollars, I can. You can call me whatever you want with a billion dollars in the bank. No doubt, no doubt, <laughs> no funny. doubt. But I, yeah, no, I, Kerfoot clan, has. the more I think about it, is exactly, that's the right one. There's, is it with a, a is it with a C or a K? K. No, the, yeah, because, like, yeah, the Ninja Turtles foot soldiers thing, like, yeah, Kerfoot, the, you get to the wear, foot clan. Here's the thing, yeah. Ker, foot clan was bad, like, they're bad dudes, okay, yeah. no doubt, and Shredder, Hey, not a guy you want to model your your life after. There's no question that hey, this show Lamas. this show is the show that it recognizes that Shredder was a bad guy. Okay, like who? no one's saying Shredder was a good. Like he was fine. Who, as a young child, didn't watch that movie and look at the mask that they put on the guy when he gets masked oh. in the ceremony and with the the red bandana oh. and the the yeah. like bug eyed Belaclava wasn't like man. Yeah. I tell you what, would be all right to be cool part looking. of the Foot Clan. Yeah. Yeah. My only yeah, memory of that movie. Cool my only memory of that movie was when Vanilla Ice was on there dancing. I'm doing the dances in the background. That's number that's two. Own, that's yeah. such a Stewie. Go Ninja! Go Ninja! Go! I just fell apart after one. We've done this before. I think we've talked about Ninja Turtle power rankings on the show actually before. What a rabbit uh, hole! Is, yeah, I know this has actually been done before. But I'm like, I'm both proud, but also ashamed to admit that I was a Raphael guy just because he was always so moody. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I think it's cool you. that he's always quitting on the team and moody. It's like, no. If I was a, if I was commentating on the Ninja Turtles like in on this show all the time, I'd always just be hammering Raphael. I'd be like, in another instance where Raphael quits on the team, where are they? gonna get a better turtle that's more reliable and more consistent <laughs> than Raphael. Like size, he's really bringing size to the table well, with this attitude. Oh, Awful. Now that we're Al- here, 
Now no, that, that was here. my take. That was my take is that they all should have had swords. That they now really the, screwed now everybody that else. <laughs> that now giving that only here. one guy swords was really uh, a brutal move. The by the, hey, here's the a splinter. stick. One guy has a yeah, trident. Yeah, here's a stick. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then they're in training, and they're like, I guess Leonardo's the best one. He's he's the leader. He's got the sword. Like, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, the other guy had a stick. The other guy had yeah. nunchucks. <laughs> it seemed like a pretty easy thing to do. Okay, now let's get back to this. I, oh, well, okay. I was going to do it. I had a transition. Oh, nice. Let's do it. Is Joe Thornton not Michelangelo, who, again, uses the nunchucks, which are like, I don't know how useful they are, but he was the comic relief. He was the guy that <laughs> he was a good dude. guy in the room. No, he's Is, Master Splinter because he's got the old beard. <laughs> mm. <laughs> old wise one. Spreads yeah, knowledge okay. upon the Keith, young turtles. Keith's not Splinter? Nope. Hmm. I kind of all right. I, listen, I, I'm I'm good with that because. But the only thing is, is that like you felt better about Splinter in a fight, like if he needed him, like. And I don't know how I feel Let's about Joe. Let's not forget how how the first one ends. Yeah, Splinter takes care of Shredder at the end. Right. Exactly. Spoiler. And I don't know who's Joe's taking care of. Okay. Um, which one's Rocksteady? Which one's Bebop? That's my question. I still haven't figured it oh, out. I don't, I don't have the wherewithal Rocksteady, to Google it. So it's a it's a it's a hog and a rhinoceros. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. Rocksteady would be the rhinoceros just because of the alliteration, and Bebop yeah, would be right. the the warthog. I'm gonna go play anyway. the game on Nintendo when I get home. I'll, I'll get back to you guys on uh, that. That would be so great. That would be so great. So yeah, you're taking victory laps because of Engval. You're taking that victory laps because of Kerfoot. Um, do you want to weigh in on Hatgate because I, you know, you <laughs> tweeted at me you were listening, yeah. and and you brought up a great point on Twitter, which is like, hey, some guys just, you know, you don't want to have bad hair, you got bad hair, so you throw a hat on. That's a pretty standard move. We don't know how long the hat had been on John Tavares, but either way, we can all acknowledge that him being on a phone talking to the team, wearing a hat, which is something that's uh, restrictive on the head. That this is like I feel more optimistic about John Tavares returning at some point in the playoffs than I did before that video. Can we not at least agree on that? Yeah, it's it's good that he is on video and he's not worried about the, the lights of the screen. But chances yeah. are he's probably laying in bed all day, and he looked like he the was guys probably said, "Hey, we're gonna Facetime you real quick." Yeah. And anyone that does wear hats, you know that you have different hats for different moments. There's one uh, the mm -hmm. gas station hat. There's the one. Oh my gosh, I got bad salad. Mm -hmm. Let me put that hat on. So I think that's the one that he had. There's different tightnesses. Like, I have a size eight and a half head, and I'll put a size nine on when uh, when I got a bit of a headache. So Eight uh, and a half. They make a size nine? Like, oh yeah. That has to be specially made. Like, I got a mascot like, head. There's a team of 20 I have a mascot head. working got, on uh, that that uh, hat in, in some, yeah. some lab somewhere, putting was, that together. Yeah, I, sometimes I just, instead of a helmet, I just wear a Gatorade jug out there. So I got a <laughs> <laughs> nine. You're Kevin Mensch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of thing. That was a deep cut. That was a real deep cut. I'm the guy with the snapback on that doesn't do any of the, <laughs> the snaps. Yeah. The yeah, just leave it open. That's a good look. That's a good oh, look. Yeah. Well, you know what else is a good look? Jason Spezza on a veteran minimum contract. Like, I, I don't even – I'm kind of running out of ways to talk about this guy because I've been so – um, enamored by him. And it's funny, like, I was actually talking about you last night, Stewie, because I was watching the game with uh, a friend, and we were discussing how one of our worst takes ever was that first game where Spezza didn't play under Babcock, and the discussion was, well, you know, is it even that big of a deal because this guy was a healthy scratch with the Stars the year before, and what's he even going to be providing you, and maybe Babcock's just doing what's best for the team, and the penalty kill, and blah, blah, blah. Now you watch him now, and it's just... 
yeah, it's horrendous. And you were one of the first guys that was like, no, he's got a ton of juice left in the tank. Again, Stewie victory laps. But I I, I don't know, man. It's just like I, I hope he does get some minutes that are outside of Thornton. I know Thornton scored last night, but I really am exhaling when he goes to the bench right now. I just I don't think he has the legs left for these games, especially as it goes deeper. I, I wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of what Versteeg has been asking for, and that's a little bit of free Spezza. Or do you like his deployment just the way it is? Yeah, there's certain analytics, I'm sure, behind it. The same reason why you have, uh, you know, Nylander at 16 and a half minutes a night because I'm sure there's a numbers guy saying, hey, he's at his optimal best and he performs the best at that uh, threshold. So I think with Spezza, if you get him into 15, 16 minutes, he might be getting tired, especially on back-to-backs. But uh, I-, I like Spezza where he's at. Between 10, 12, 14 minutes, he gives you some serviceable minutes. And the thing is, He's not a defensive liability, so I didn't get that narrative saying, ah, you know, you can't penalty kill. He's great on the penalty kill. He wins his face-offs. And, you know, I talked about puck poise with Matthews and Nylander. He's right behind there where every time he touches that puck, you know he's going to be making the right play every single time. So I'm a big fan of his. I came in when he signed here saying that, you know, he's probably still going to play at a half a uh, point a game pace. And the way that you look at it, over 82 games uh, dating back to last year, I think he had probably 80, uh, 40 points uh, pace. So... Um, I think the real story behind this team as opposed to last year is last year it was if Nylander, Matthews, Tavares, and Marner weren't going, this team is doomed. But that's how I know this team is poised for a run because they have other guys that are stepping up at different moments, and that's a recipe for success for a team that's going on a deep run in the playoffs. Okay, so that's interesting that you say that because like, I've been trying to kind of hold off on this conversation yeah. because... Um, I think it's one to have on Friday if they do advance. And I'm really trying to do this thing today where, hey, just be happy because even if the Leafs blow it, this is a cool moment. Like, we'll just live in the moment a little bit here where they're thumping, like thumping their rival. And to the point where the other fans are going, well, our team isn't very good. And boo, boo, blee, blue, after talking a lot of trash during the offseason and during the beginning of the year and all this different stuff, right? And so I'm enjoying it. But the Habs have been so bad that I'm having the hard time picking through how much of it is the Leafs playing well versus how much of it is a team that's just completely overwhelmed by being in this spot and is just, you know, a Carey Price team. Like, how, how are you seeing it? No, they're, they're playing well and all systems are firing. Obviously, you know, I think going on a deep run, you got to worry about the power play and, and fixing that because that can... Right. And, and what why I'm concerned about the power play because game three, it's a 2-1 game and that was too hard fought of a, of a game where now, you know, going into back-to-back and you get tired. If the power play was clicking, that's a, a, a 4-1, 5-1 game. So that's yeah. why you need some easy games if you're going on a on a deep, deep run. So um, this team, I, I've watched a lot of hockey because it's a pandemic. You can't. I, last year you could say, yeah, there's probably 10, 12, 13 teams that are better than the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I can't. Uh, right now in the playoffs, there's maybe two, three teams. You know, maybe Carolina, maybe... Uh, you know, Vegas, maybe Colorado, but that's it. And then they're going to, I think, just based on how they're playing, how they're rostered, that they're going on a deep run. So obviously it's going to come to obviously, you know, how the games are played, but on paper, this team is poised to make a run. So uh, it's very interesting now because last year you couldn't really say that, but this team right now is, is ready to go. I like yeah, Boston, Tampa, and Florida, too. Boston, and that's those. another thing, too, where I think they need to get over that hump, too, the Boston hump, because I, I yeah. think on paper that's a, a five, six-game series. So I know I sound like Homer Simpson, but uh, just based on what I'm seeing, you shut down Boston's top uh, top line there, too. You stay out of the penalty box. You're, you're, you know, those, those guys are easy pickings. Yeah, Either way, you, this is an absolutely awesome night of hockey. 
like yeah. all these elimination games, Penguins, Islanders, Panthers, Lightning, Golden Knights, and Wild, who I think are a little underrated. And this is like, I, I do like being able to see these games and having these nights. Now we've just learned that there's no Alec Manoa game, that they're rained out, right, Ben? You said that it's not no, likely. No, I didn't say is. that. No, I said that there's a chance of thunderstorms tonight. I didn't, oh, that's I thought you said it was not happening. Okay, never mind. But either way, if that does happen, it's a good look for Leaf fans to kind of compare and contrast what they're seeing with their team because I think that every one of those series is just like really good teams, uh, minus maybe the Islanders and Penguins, but either way. Islanders are a good team. Yeah, they're fine. Shout out Justin uh, here's, Bourne. Here's Shout out Justin Bourne. No, I, listen, Islanders are not winning a Stanley Cup this year. You can you can print that and put it on T-shirts, do whatever. It's like that team's not winning. So, like, it, like if we're just doing cup contenders or teams that can win, like they're not in that one. Well, plus the, the the Leafs, when they get out of this division, if they get out of this division, you would think mm-hmm. at least Felino is going to be back and healthy. And as much as I'm not uh, buying into too much the, the hat gate thing, I do mm-hmm. think it's – uh, very much a possibility that John Tavares is playing if the Leafs get another couple of weeks of, of playoffs. Is uh, it uh, is it too early to figure out where uh, Felino slots when he gets back? We got to give it a couple more games before we talk about that. Or I'm not playing Felino the rest of the series unless it goes to a game seven. Yeah. Like I'm saying, hey man, get right. But we threw Adam Brooks in the lineup and it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. We are watching Pierre Engvall look like a like really good ho- like who on the Leafs right now is playing in a way that you don't think is up to snuff against the Habs like I said I, I re- I'm really not meaning this to be mad I, I think that there are things about Joe Thornton that we don't see that are still important I want him playing like and yet I don't want him playing the minutes that he's playing because like every time it goes in the D zone it feels like they can't keep the puck in the offensive zone long enough and that he really just struggles to get back. He's, he's stiff. It just it, I think his passing has dropped off a little bit. He's been on the ice for a couple of goals against. He's made some bad decisions. He scored last night, so good, 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 good. I think that's great for the team. But outside of Thornton, I can't think of anybody right now that I'm circling. Maybe Marner, who I'd say, or even Hyman, who uh, I don't know if is fully healthy. But those two guys, maybe I'd be circling saying, we need more from you. But other than that, like you're getting more than I expected from just about everybody. Yeah, and again, I don't think you'd like my solution for Thornton. I would say, well, you know what? Uh, puck possession numbers for the Matthews line is great. Why not throw them up there? Because they're not even playing no. in their D zone, and he knows exactly where to go. Straight line hockey, keep it simple. I remember playing with uh, Nick Antropov in Atlanta, and he'd just give me the breakout pass. He'd be like, you go, you skate around the net, and by the time you get around the net, I'll be in the zone. You find me there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, I would do that every time, and it, it was simple hockey because he knew exactly where he was going to be, and I think Jumbo's one of those guys. You know where he's going to be on the ice, and I think it's up to Keefe now to sort of insulate him because he's a, a much better uh, – the team is better with him in the lineup than him in the stands or in, in the press box for sure. How have we gone this long without you talking about your guy, Wayne Simmons, and how great he's looked in this series? And it's he's not been amazing. Like, like I, I, I thought he would be an impactful player in the series, even when he started on the fourth line because of the physicality and keeping Ben Sherrod from running around. But he has looked great with the puck on his stick as well. Yeah, and he's got good poise, and people forget. You know, he scored 28, 30 goals in this league. He's got 100 power play goals over his career too. But in playoffs, he just elevates his game to a whole different level. And the one thing I don't think the fans can really tell because the mics aren't really too hot is 
he's constantly chirping, he's constantly yapping. So you might think he'd get away with a hit or something, and by the time he escaped by the bench, he's like, hey, I saw that. I'm going to kill you if you do that again. So it just keeps <laughs> yeah. guys on their toes where, you know, you saw the Edmondson thing the other night. He, he chops Edmondson. Edmondson, you know, cross-checks him, and then he pretends he's not going to do anything. Then he throws a falcon punch. You know, yeah. that, that, that <laughs> calmed. I don't yeah. think we, we heard Edmondson's name last night because it's yeah. like, you know, Simmons, he's just a squirrely guy. You don't know when he's going to get you, how he's going to get you. So, you know, we talk about the, uh, you know, the deterrent aspect too. He just keeps guys on their toes. And that's the one thing you don't want as a hockey player. You don't want another team's bench, bench focusing on you because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling that you're getting followed on the ice. It's a bad, bad feeling where you're getting rid of pucks a lot sooner. You know, you're seeing Gallagher. Gallagher hasn't been himself because I think Wayne's ran him over three, four times where he knows every time he touches the puck and he doesn't have his legs this series that he's getting hammered. So he's making quick plays. So that Simmons, the factor, it's, it's not X's and O's or numbers and goals and assists. It's that other factor, that fear factor, as you will. And he's, He's the Joe Rogan of the Fear Factor with this Toronto Maple Leafs team. He's just he's he's been everything though, man. Like he's done everything well this series. He's been threatening. He had one shot yesterday where I was like, "Well, this guy's really feeling it" because he's like at the blue line, loads up a wrister, like middle of the ice. Like I was like, "Ooh, that could have been a breakout the other way." But that's the sense of, "Hey, this guy is feeling himself right now in all aspects. Like five on five, he looks good." He's getting in on the forecheck. He's making plays. He's, yeah, acting as that deterrent. And I, I really do believe in what you're talking about. And I love hearing it from you where it's like Montreal's trying to be tough and they're really trying to be the physically imposing team and they're getting more hits and blah, 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 blah. One team has the toughest guy in the series. And I think that matters when a group is trying to impose their will. Like it reminds me of... Uh, in a basketball series where it's like the NBA playoffs, you go, oh, this team's deeper. And it's like, yeah, but does the other team have the best player? Because that's really what's going to ultimately matter. And that's how I feel with Simmons with like the, the toughness element. But if I'm thinking about like the Leafs' best forwards in this series, like who has played the best? It's clearly Nylander, Matthews, Kerfoot, and then I think it's Simmons. And then Spezza. Like those are the five guys that I think have done the best so far over every single game. Yeah, who's the guy on Trailer Park Boys that just always... Threatens to take his pants off. Oh, Randy. Yeah, he, he, Randy fights with yeah, his pants Yeah, Wayne off. is yeah. the Randy. He's like, you know yeah. what? You want to get crazy? I'll take my <laughs> pants off. We'll get real yeah. crazy. And that's another yeah. thing, too, where, you know, he's sort yeah. of uh, neutralized Perry and Anderson, where yeah. you haven't heard that physicality element since before the series or after game one because they know Simmons. You want to take it any way. You can take it to the streets, the back alleys, the front alleys. He's more than willing, right? And he <laughs> – so – He's the Randy of the Maple Leafs, if that's an, uh, an analogy. I don't know if there's front alleys either. Like, I think they kind of have to be side or back. Yeah, because if they're front, they're just the street. Okay, he'll take that's it to the streets the of street. Sesame. Okay, we'll do Front that. alley. <laughs> front alley is the street. It's the street. Yeah. It's just the yeah, street. It's the street. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got to run, but this is really good. You're doing great on the panels, and, like, yeah, we're loving the work right now, Paolo. All right. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, boys. See you, bud. See you, Stuart. Uh, enjoy the weirdo ghost town of the studio, which I hope to be back at soon enough yeah, we haven't really Lance discussed all this garbage Lance like oh whoopsie like cleaning up all the all the ops that are there boy what a filth fest it must be back there oh that room mm, toenails everywhere oh, are you stains oh. and like it's not good it's bad there's just a cloud of farts in there you walk in there's no doubt about it it's bad it's a bad situation there <laughs> Lance, tell me that you don't have, like, you haven't dropped some food on the ground in the studio and been like, mm, no one else is here. Like, that's happened yeah. 100%. There's, like, mm. yogurt. So Lance, around his desk, is not a pretty scene. No chance. I, I cannot attest to that. I have no idea. Um, but, yeah. One day we'll be back there. 
<laughs> it's not exactly the cleanliest place on earth on the best of times. But yeah, when there's limited supervision, I'm thinking, yeah, probably add to that.